Hi everyone, it's Britt, the Petite Polymath, and today we're going to talk about the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley. Get excited! Okay everyone, so I hope you've been doing okay. Um, I have been, you know, as well as one can be during a pandemic, um, been reading quite a bit of nonfiction, which means that I haven't been doing book review recently because it was, you know, books about negotiation and healthy eating, which don't really lend themselves maybe the most interesting episodes. But I bought the autobiography of Malcolm X because I never read it as a teenager uh, or a young adult. And I guess if you're in your 30s, you don't count as a young adult anymore. So I decided I was going to read it. And I could have read it way faster than I did, actually, because it was just riveting. Um, but I took my time and really just kind of tried to hear Malcolm's voice. Uh, I now have to go and watch um, the movie with Denzel Washington because I don't know why I never watched that either. I know it's really long. Maybe that was why. I'm not sure. Anyway, I try to read books before I watch the movies, so I don't feel so bad. Um, but this is, this is a man that we know a lot about, or at least we know something about. And... I would venture to say that what I thought I knew about Malcolm and who I affectionately now I'm going to start calling Uncle Malcolm, um, I did not know the half of the story until reading his words. He is a, I mean, he lives on, honestly, so I, it, it, I feel compelled to use the present tense, but he was a man of such principle and he was clearly someone who I think anyone can relate to in some way. You know, if you are someone who grew up in a very, in a home that was impacted by mental health or parental loss um, or violence or poverty, you can relate to him. If you were someone who grew up and ended up in the, in the foster care system or in reform schools, if you're a kid who was smart and the token black kid, um, if you are a hustler or gangster in the underbelly of, the, of you know, big city America, if you're someone who spent time in prison, if you're someone who finds faith and comes in contact with God and has transformed um, any of these stories then you can relate to Malcolm X. Um, and that, I think, would be true regardless even of your ethnicity. Uh, so Malcolm X, born Malcolm Little, uh, born in Nebraska to um, a family um, who moved around a lot because his father was an itinerant pastor. And in his, you know, free time, he would also uh, preach and spread the word about um, black separatist, separatism and Marcus Garvey, which if you know about Marcus Garvey was someone who was very much a proponent of the Back to Africa movement. So Malcolm X was just a few years older than Martin Luther King Jr. And so he was growing up in the, you know, during the Great Depression. And so, you know, this is like the, the heat of the Black Codes in the Jim Crow era in particular, too. And so you have these sundown towns where black people aren't allowed to be after dark, 
but they could work there, working for white people, and then they had to live on the outskirts of these towns um, or in their own little villages around. And so people didn't like the message that his father was spreading. I find it very fascinating that if you really didn't like black people and you thought that they were, you know, a thorn in your flesh, why you would be upset that they were getting excited about potentially leaving this country and going back to the continent they were stolen from. But for some reason, this was not popular. And so, you know, in some hazy way, Mr. Little is killed. And I'd venture to say he had to have been murdered by white supremacists of some sort. We don't really know fully what happened to him. But in the wake of this, Malcolm's family is just hit by hard time after hard time. An interesting thing, so his mother, she was of biracial descent, um, most likely the product of rape. Her father was a white man. Her mother was a, a black West Indian woman. And, um, and she marries Mr. Little and has this family. And so unfortunate or fortunate for her, I'd say unfortunate depending, is that she could pass for white. And so she'd always get these, these starts of being able to maybe get a job and, and take care of her children, only for it to come out that she actually was black and then for her to lose her job. So ultimately they end up having to get help from the system, which of course is more white people who are fixated on fragmenting this family and putting the kids in various homes. Um, thankfully for Malcolm and his siblings, they're in a community that is pretty close-knit. The kids are t all taken in by you know, friendly neighbors um, and people in the community, so they're able to still grow up together and maintain a very close relationship. Malcolm's taken in by a white family, uh, and they take a liking to him. He's clearly a bright little kid, and they want, you know, to give him an opportunity to be, to be, to do well and be good, right? And so at the beginning, he just starts to, to put on, you know, this wearing of the mask, right, um, of doing everything that he ought to do, doing his schoolwork, being a good student, um, and taking the slurs and kind of backhanded things that are said about his color um, while he's in this environment. Ultimately, this gets old. He ends up doing a stint um, with in a, at a reformatory, but not like a, a real hardcore place, thankfully, for him. And he somehow still manages to kind of charm people um, until he has an encounter with a teacher. Um, Malcolm's intelligent. And he starts thinking about things he wants to be when he grows up. And being a lawyer is one of those things. And the teacher discourages him because, and I quote, um, something to the effect of, you're a nigger and you shouldn't think about these big ideas. Why don't you be a carpenter, something more realistic? And at this moment, Malcolm realizes that this game is not set up equally that he doesn't have the same chances that his peers that are white do. And something in him shifts. So, you know, in the midst of all this, his mother has ended up um, institutionalized for, I would say, a, a, probably a mental breakdown perpetuated by this just gross racist system um, of complete <laughs> lack of support for him and his family. Um, and just the, in, the inability to be able to take care of her children and probably the grief that she also is experiencing and the isolation 
of being a widow with, with this family that, you know, of kids that are going hungry and have to drop out of school because they have to make ends meet. But then how do you make ends meet when everything's stacked up against you? And so ultimately Malcolm goes to live with his older half-sister in Boston. Her name's Ella. She takes him under his wing. She tries to get him in with the good black people of the town that they're in. And yet Malcolm gets pulled into, you know, the world of capers and getting into stuff and, you know, quick, easy money. He's clearly, clearly a quick learner. And so he adjusts now to a life of hustling and abusive substances to escape, you know, the realities of, I think, what his mind would have went to had he been sober, which was, you know, maybe some probably the futility of, of, um, of life and the frustrations of being dealt a hand that you can't seem to rise above. While this is also happening, you know, he's been disillusioned to Christianity for two reasons. There is the, the propping up of racist systems, segregation, Jim Crow, you know, violence against black people that is held up by white Christians in America. At the same time, there is the immorality, hypocrisy, and abuse of power and manipulation of the poor by black ministers of Christianity that he sees in the ghetto, lining their pockets with hard-earned money from their um, members of their churches, you know, seducing the women, abusing the young girls and boys, and yet still using God as a cover for that. And understandably, he wants nothing to do with this. And if anything, turns his back on faith of any kind and just decides I'm going to get the best for myself and do what I can do. He ends up, you know, on the streets as a well-respected hustler. He learns from the top, um, you know, kind of criminal <laughs> minds of, of his neighborhoods. He ends up in New York, ultimately in Harlem, you know, makes friends with all the jazz and music, you know, jazz musicians and, and actors, people like Red Fox from Sanford and Son and Billie Holiday. Um, just, you know, I mean, uh, Duke Ellington, just all of these greats and names. He is, you know, in the, in the thick of all this life and eventually gets caught with it. Spends some time in prison and while in prison, his brother, one of his brothers, um, comes to tell him about the Nation of Islam. And the family has largely converted, and Malcolm has lots of time to think, and he ultimately uh, converts. And this becomes the turning point in his life. Um, he begins to become an autodidact, teaching himself everything he can, learning how to write and how to read better reading everything he can get his hands on, learning about history, philosophy, all the world religions, you know, the origins of people, nature and science, um, all the things that he can grasp. And ultimately is a transformed man when he leaves. He ends up right underneath Elijah Muhammad, which, you know, the rest of this being the history we know full well, preaching and espousing um, you know, the, the news of um, who the black man is and his place in the world, the, the need for black people to rise up and to be unified amongst each other and to be better, to rid themselves of all these moral weaknesses, 
to gain respect, self-respect, and dignity, and to see the white man in America, in Europe, as the devil that he is. That is what he begins to espouse. And in the midst of all this, you know, he has a lot of integrity, ultimately ends up marrying uh, his wife, um, Betty, and having a family. And, you know, there's something prophetic about him because there's two things that he knows. He knows that you always have to be on the lookout for jealousy and envy in those closest to you. And also, he has always felt that he had a violent death coming. He didn't know how or when, but he felt, you know, so many of the men in his family had died violent deaths. It was only possible that the same thing might happen to him. And he falls out of the graces of Elijah Muhammad when he confronts Elijah Muhammad for his own um, indiscretions, hypocrisy, immorality, and gets pushed out of the nation of Islam, but not out of Islam. So his sister Ella, who converts ultimately as well, um, helps fund his uh, Hajj to Mecca. And this is a, another life-changing re- uh, opportunity for him. He gets to travel through Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. And he meets Muslims of all ethnic backgrounds, of all skin tones, and discovers um, the brotherhood of man and how that is made possible through his faith. He dines in homes of people who don't look like him. He is treated with respect and hospitality by people that back home, if they'd looked that same way, would have had nothing to do with him if they'd even shake, you know, even would shake his hand. And he is just blown away by, by this um, acceptance and this experience. And he begins to realize that what he had been taught was wrong. It was a, a twisting of Quran, it was a twisting of the faith. And he is even more fortified and encouraged to return home and to preach a new truth or the truth, something new for him, that he was wrong, that what we need is a brotherhood across ethnic bounds, and that he feels that in large part Islam is the way for that to be made manifest because he sees the ways that Christianity seemed to fail. Of course, his life is snuffed out too soon, at the age of 39, assassinated while speaking in front of his family. And, you know, we're left with the Malcolm X that is on the cusp of becoming once again someone new. And it's so interesting how timely this autobiography is, because Malcolm does not pull punches. One thing I love about him is he is principled. He's principled, he is humble, and he will call out his own stuff and his own short-sighted perspective and the ways he failed, yet always trying to be better. Um, As a Christian, it strikes me because, you know, I've known um, a few practicing Muslims. I don't think I know intimately any very devout ones. But I have not usually heard a very personal perspective of Allah. Malcolm talks about Allah like Christians talk about God, the Father. It it is as if God is not just willed and is way up here somewhere, but that God was very intimately interested in his life 
and in pursuing and finding him if he wanted to respond. And that's like such a Christian perspective of faith that it is just, it was mind blowing to me. You also see that Malcolm calls out the ways in which people professing Christianity did not live up to it at all. And he tells them, like, Jesus that you say you follow, like, you aren't following anything that he says. And so his, his criticisms don't seem to be laid at the feet of the cross or, or at the feet of Christianity as much as at the people who espouse it and can't even hold it up correctly. And in the shortcomings of that. In addition, I love how he is able to pivot and be honest about the ways that you know, disadvantaged, brutalized communities have to take um, the ability or have to take the ownership of no longer being victim and standing up on their feet and owning their humanity and being unified in that, not letting other people dictate, not letting the gaze of, the, of someone from the outside dictate who we are, but doing something for ourselves, which I think is very um, timely. In addition to calling out that white people must be able to sit and acknowledge the discomfort and the, the guilt that one almost kind of gets by default of the systems that have been propped up and that they've benefited from. And that there's work that has to be done on both sides. He actually says something really interesting that I think is kind of in, uh, fitting here. Um, if I can find... Ah, yes. The first thing, and he's talking about, um, about white people and black people working together. The first thing I tell them, white people, is that at least where my own particular black nationalist organization, the Organization of Afro-American Unity, is concerned, they can't join us. I have these very deep feelings that white people who want to join black organizations are really just taking the escapist way to salve their consciences. By visibly hovering near us, they are proving that they are with us. But the hard truth is that this isn't helping to solve America's racist problem. The Negroes aren't the racist. Where the really sincere white people have got to do their proving of themselves is not among the black victims, but out on the battle lines of where America's racism really is, and that's in their own home communities. America's racism is among their own fellow whites. That's where the sincere whites who really mean to accomplish something have got to start to work. And I, I think that something about this whole concept of performative allyship that we hear a lot about um, is that you have to take a stand amongst the people that need to be impacted. And I think Malcolm would tell you very honestly throughout the book that, you know, there are hostilities on both sides. Um, but these are things that are going to take time to be addressed and healed because we have had such dysfunction for so long. We can't expect for this to happen overnight. And he didn't expect it to happen even in his lifetime, maybe in his children or children's children's lifetime. Um, he also talked about the importance of a awareness of black international, I don't know, um, unity, and that maybe people were not going to be very excited about black people unifying outside of their own countries. So the blacks in America knowing what's going on with the blacks down in Central and South America, 
and then how that's impacting the blacks in Africa and the black people, um, you know, in Australia. And like that we all needed to realize that our struggle was universal, even if varied. Which I think is something we're seeing with the diaspora today is this need to cross these oceans of of difference to find the ways in which we are alike and how we do that amongst each other first healing amongst ourselves or I would say maybe it's a both and healing amongst ourselves and then healing across the ethnic bounds as well and doing them both simultaneously now you know I would have loved to have seen what would have happened as he aged about his views on women. I mean, he definitely goes from being a user of women to being someone who respects them. Um, I don't know, you know, how much um, egalitarianism he actually might have about women. It's hard to really tell from from the autobiography. I might have to try to find some recordings but I do know that he was clearly a man that loved his wife fiercely and was kind of surprised by how, how much he needed her and how much he honored and respected her. And I know his children loved him. And the one, you know, those who have memory of him um, carry that. And he had daughters. He was, you know, the father of daughters. So I think he would have raised his daughters with um, strength and assuredness while also being very tender and kind. Um, that's my assessment of, of him. Um, and so, uh, Uncle Malcolm, I would love to know what you would think about today. And I am once again just saddened that you you were taken away so soon. This book was just so eye-opening and incredibly just provocative in the way of like, there are people in this world who are going to leave a mark and you don't always know who they're going to be. Is it the kid in the foster home? Is it the man in prison? Is it the hustler on the street that's going to have a radical transformation? Like you just don't know what genius is in people that has not yet been realized or come to fruition. And so to treat people as the image bearers of the divine that they are, with the possibility of becoming someone that will leave the world differently than the way it was before, is so important. And I actually have nothing else to say tonight, except to go read this book if you have not read it. And then if you have read it, maybe go watch the movie. I'm going to totally watch the movie, maybe this weekend. So, that's all I got. You were listening to an episode of the Petite Polymath from the Mind of Britstone. Hope you enjoyed. Till next time.